We did it. Oh my lord. Yeah. It it only took a month and we figured out how to do this technology <laughs> bullshit. I'm eating my mustache. I've lost my train of thought. So, you know, it this is ADHD me. But um <laughs> this is inevitable. It's okay. We we can edit. We have the technology. <laughs> Welcome to episode four of Sibling Rants. Sibling it's your Rants. big brother, Andrew. And your little sister, Bronwyn. And we finally figured out this technology bullshit. Um, I'm, we think. You'll, well, yeah. I mean, listen, you're going to find out one <laughs> way or the other at the top of this because I will yeah. probably um, edit some of this in as a cold open because we kind of liked the vibe of that last time. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and as Andrew and I sit on Zoom to record this episode, we are reminded that our homes in Cambridge and Kitchener are situated on land that is the traditional home of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, and neutral people. We recognize and deeply appreciate their historic connection to this region, and we also recognize the contributions Indigenous peoples have made in, sh in shaping and strengthening the, this community. We are grateful for the opportunity to create on these lands together and reaffirm our commitment to truth and reconciliation in our community wonderful uh actually funny enough speaking of native people i have had some amazing native tiktokers scrolling across oh, my for you my page God. lately and i am native TikTok loving is it. my favorite there is oh. uh this one guy um and it's written right into his name so i know that he's from the cree tribe and he does all of the notorious cree yes Oh my god, I love him. Oh my god. <laughs> like, okay, I just, I love seeing him dance. I love the transitions yeah. he does into all the traditional garb. It looks so freaking cool. Um, and then I really also yeah. love that other, the the mother-daughter combo that does the throat singing. Oh, yes. So good. Um, I also, I don't know if you follow her account. I'll share some with you, though. Um, Sherry McKee. Okay. She's out of Manitoba. I love her. Her account's phenomenal. But I, and it, essentially, like, TikTok is one of those where, like, any Indigenous account that comes across my For You page, it's an immediate like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, like, oh, and following you. Um, and, like, I encourage people to do this, actually, just as a practice with your social media. When you see Black-owned black, like, black -owned accounts, when you see Indigenous-owned accounts, when you see people of color-owned accounts, follow them and it really changes the algorithm to ensure that you, that your feed is no longer just white people. Um, it has made such a huge difference for me. I have learned a lot. Um, and, and all it is, is one like click. The content is amazing. It's, it's one click. That's all it takes oh, in, yeah. in order to shift the paradigm a little bit. It is like the mm -hmm. bare minimum effort you can put. Actually, okay. no, that's a lie. There is more bare minimum <laughs> effort you can put. Cause let me tell you, the rants are going to happen today. We're going to dive right into this bullshit because I am, I am, I am floored. I am flabbergasted oh, no. with this week. So, um, I, I mentioned in the first podcast that I grew up in Oshawa and, the, uh -huh. and this incident happens with, uh, Durham region this week, which Oshawa is located within the Durham region. And I will preface this by saying, at no given point does anyone proudly state that they're from Oshawa. It's never like, yeah, I grew up no. in Oshawa. It's like, <laughs> yes, I'm aware. No. I grew up in the dirty schwa. It's the armpit of Ontario. <laughs> I get it. We've all heard it. Um, and let me tell you, the armpit continues to stink with this bullshit. Uh, so Durham region this week pulled a really disappointing move and they're under a lot of fire and I saw it and I'm just, it's sad. Oh no. 
Um, because they posted an Amber's an image sent up of this Black History Month scavenger hunt. Now, normally at first you look at it and it's like, okay, is this a teaching aid for small children? Um, because there's things on it that say, you know, uh, spend a few minutes to learn about Africa. So like, what is the highest point in, on the continent of Africa? What is the name of the largest lake? Um, dance to a reggae song. So these are all things that you're like, okay, this is like pre-elementary school, early average. I was going to say. And then you get to the next part where it says, have a conversation with a black employee or colleague. So no, this is not a teaching aid. Durham Region submitted this to their staff to encourage this for Black (sighs) History Month for them to start learning about it. And they are under heavy fire with just cause because, like, you want to talk about not even stepping up to the bare minimum. Like, there was a part of me that was really, really optimistic that after BLM (laughs) last year and everything, that maybe we started to learn something here. And at the very least, that our government agencies would. Um, But as a municipality, Durham has just completely shit the bed here and trivialized it because at no given point can you treat learning about a different culture like trying to teach adults in the fashion that you would teach a grade three because the more you continue to do that the more you're trivializing it well and also just like what they've blatantly done there which is what a lot of organizations and a lot of municipalities and whatnot do is that they like while yes we do need to learn from the the black uh indigenous people of color creators and 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 activists and whatnot who have been educating us for literal decades and centuries and whatnot on this it is not our job to be like oh yeah go talk to your black employee and make them teach you this like (laughs) they don't see that that's what they're doing they are literally they're they're encouraging white people to go make their black counterparts do the work for them to educate themselves and you can't tell me at any given point in this that you had black persons on your team when you developed this to put them out. Like, no, there's no fucking no, no, way no. because they would have looked no. at it and been like, are you shitting me? Um, oh, this is one of the big things that's been coming forward is realizing just how white all of our, like, I mean, this is one of the, I mean, it's been, we've seen it for a long time, but it's really becoming visible, right? Like just how built off of white supremacy, all of our organizations and our, and our governments and our, like, the institutions and whatnot like because they're all white people and when you look at you might have black people on staff but then you look at the board of directors and it's all white people and it's just this like you you realize that when a decision is made to put something public and all of a sudden you're like wow if a black person had reviewed this yeah this would not be what was being put out so clearly there's no black people on staff like (laughs) Which, also to that effect, by the way, uh, this was brought to light by a wonderful dear friend of mine. Her name is Joni Narita. Uh, she is a black artist located in Guelph. She is an amazing jazz musician. I have had the privilege of being on stage with her for theater in the past. And she's just the sweetest woman of life. But she's also very much one of those black people who are fed up with trying to teach us white people yes. 
how how to hit the bare minimum line here and not that i fault her at all like it's it is ridiculous and when you see shit like this it's like no not like this stop it (laughs) i feel like this is my every day as a like uh, so i mean one of my biggest things one of my biggest pieces in my activism i i guess i should say to people who don't know me is calling other white people into the conversation or just calling them out, right? Uh, because it should not be the job of, of uh, BIPOC folks to have to continually do this calling in, calling out. It's exhausting. I need to take on some of that. I feel that I need to take on some of that burden as a white person who can withstand it because I have the privilege to not have to endure it all the time. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's... I can, you know, like, I just... (sighs) This is, this is sad. This is, when we say white people need to do better, this does not qualify as doing better. This is, I don't even know that this counts as a baby step in the right direction. You're headed in a direction, but I don't know if it's the fucking one you need to be. Um, And it's just, it's disappointing to see, and it's, it repeatedly disappoints me to see how much we are still not taking it seriously, this call to be actively anti-racist. Um, and there's so much shit, too. And like as, as much as there is a lot of wonderful uh, communities and persons and creators on TikTok, there's also just as many ignorant fucking pieces yep. of shit. Like, I'm a nerd. I'm part of the cosplay community. And the cosplay community is rife with mm-hmm. fucking racism. And it's disgusting. Oh my god. It's probably it's similar to the gaming community. Just like... <laughs> well, and there was this one... Super misogynistic, super racist. Oh yeah. Super... <laughs> well, and there was this one black creator. And she did a cosplay of a character known as Hinata from the series Naruto. And she's a black cosplayer. Her cosplay looked spot on. She had the white out contact lenses and everything. It looked boss. I fucking thought it was great. She got so much hate. And to see in the comment section people going, you can't cosplay her. You're n- Oh, please tell me this isn't reverse racism, reverse blackface bullshit. It's, it's less like, of that. And it's more <sighs> in the cosplay community. It tends to come across more as gatekeeping. Right. It's. Okay. You can't play that character if you don't have the body type for it, if you don't have the skin type right. for it, if you don't have the whatever. <laughs> and it's like... Okay. Which is also just like, that's such bullshit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, first off, <laughs> the entire ninja premise to this series means that uh, general odds are she's Japanese, first off. So our pasty white asses should not be cosplaying either by your logic. And secondly, <laughs> and the more important thing here is, it's a fictional character. So, it doesn't matter if you match the original gender or racial tone or whatever. Like, just fucking... In fact, I actually think it's really cool when people gender bend or racial bend characters um, not in the direction of 
white people like <laughs> i'm not telling white people to do this but <laughs> no. but when people of color do it or when when lgbt folks change the gender of, of a character to 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 make it more relatable to them or whatnot like i do it with music all the time where i will uh gender bend the the romantic partner in the in the song to make it more relatable to my experience oh yeah um i do that with taylor swift all the time so. <laughs> i did it uh, <laughs> i did it during a karaoke live um because my partner is a, a big old country boy. And <laughs> I'll tell I you. I miss doing live karaoke with you. Right. I miss that too. Um, but, but, yeah. but I, you know, country music is obviously drastically lacking in uh, any sort of. I don't know what you're talking about. Country music is so forward thinking. There are no homophobes, no racists. It's just good old Southern forward thinking people making music. <laughs> I'm amazed you held a straight face for that long. Good job. I tried so hard. <laughs> you you did. Uh, you know, y'all can't see the video here, but she put in a real conscientious effort. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, heavy sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, right. Understand that satire. Oh is... See, and don't get me like for any country music lovers. Like, I don't hate country music. It's it's funny because like there's this whole narrative about like ugh, like country music's the worst. And it's like to each their own. I actually don't hate a lot of music. I can find something to like in most genres. It's just that in terms of genres of music, particularly in genres of like popular music, country music is generally the most racist, the most white centered, the most homophobic, the, especially not even just specifically the content of the music, although that's pretty evident too, but also just the behind the scenes beliefs with country music. Like, I mean, it, it took, I don't know enough about country music to know if there's like openly gay um, country music singers now, but like it took a long time for that to even be acceptable. I, I know that there <laughs> are a couple. Music. I also know too that like personally for me, it's older country music that I yeah. just don't vibe with. Some of the newer stuff. Yeah. All right. I'll admit it's catchy. I'll admit I sing along with it because when you're in the car and it's the radio station your partner wants and yeah. it's what you're stuck <laughs> listening to, you eventually just start singing with it, especially when you have no theaters, no karaoke <laughs> bars, no nothing that you can still go and do. So you yeah. sing along with whatever the fuck you can get, um, which then he gives me the side eye and he's like, I hear you singing this. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> See, you like it. That's not what I meant. <laughs> right? Not even what I'm after. How yeah, I do also but, uh... acknowledge, too, though, that, like, I've done karaoke contests where there's been a specific country-themed night, and I always do exceptionally well. Why? Because I'm a baritone. My voice falls very comfortably <laughs> in that country range, so I can do it well. I just yeah, don't necessarily no, love it. I It's so interesting because I think the first time somebody heard me sing something even slightly country in style was they heard they were hearing me sing some earlier Taylor Swift. And I remember them saying, like, this is so unusual to hear me singing it. But it wasn't even that it was bad. It was just so they they had they were so used to me singing like opera or maybe some pop music that like seeing me shift into country music was just its own special little treat. <laughs> They were like, "What do I do with this? <laughs> this is this is not this is not Bronwyn's voice." <laughs> right? It's 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 so funny when you're yeah. when you do 
make the efforts to adjust your voice and change when you're doing something like karaoke and people yeah. are so accustomed to you being one way. It's especially a problem for, I think it's not anymore because very few people that I spend a lot of time with now actually knew me in my undergrad, but people who knew me in my undergrad really only ever heard me doing art song or, or opera. So it's <laughs> classical music. So like the shift into like hearing me even do pop music for the first time was like, Whoa, what is that? <laughs> Be like, um, actually I prefer singing pop music. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, pop music's fun. Some of it is, you know, yes. a little ridiculous. Some of it's obscenely repetitive, uh, but some of it is very creative and well, I had this argument with somebody, not argument conversation debate discussion one of those (laughs) um discussion about taylor swift because i think one of the like backlashes around taylor swift music that happens especially from people who don't actually listen to her music very often but have like made up their minds is that like oh taylor swift she built a whole empire off of four notes or whatever and i'm and i always look at them and i'm like yeah she built a whole empire off of four notes i mean it's more than that it's like six notes but like (laughs) but like Imagine being that much of a musical genius that you can build an entire empire of she's got what, like 11 albums now, something like that. <laughs> like it's, um, So we're just going to shit on a woman for being that kind of genius. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the thing is too, is like, it's, it's not just Taylor. It's a lot of yep. pop artists these days. Like there is, there is a guy and I can't remember the exact name of the video, but he goes on this rant about Pachelbel's canon. Uh, and the fact that it is the baseline. The rant. Yes! Yes, see, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and, like, it came to light again after fucking Maroon 5 came out with Memories, because Memories oh is the first song in a long time that is so blatantly just taken the exact progression of Pokemon's Game of Thrones. Some of them, it's like, okay, you have to really, you have to have a musical ear to kind of hear it and go, oh, Hey, you're right about that song. You're right about that song. And he brings up a lot of them in the rant. Um, but then yeah. Memories was just, I'm like, Oh, <sighs> <sighs> uh, there are so many, there are certain classical pieces that have been brought into um, uh, popular music for like dramatic effect. Like the Diaz Irae is, is one of them. And like, I hear it every time and I'm like, Oh, I know. I, I know what's, I know what's happening. <laughs> I love DS Ira only because yeah. only because I was in a production of Rent and they throw just that little snippet of it in Love You Bohem. Yep. And it was delightful because I played Collins, which means that I had the nice beefy resonating bass notes. Uh, and that was delightful. I'm so sad that I haven't been able to hear you perform. We'll get there. Yet. We'll get there. But it's <laughs> it, actually it's funny now because because now Talking about music theater, talking about the entire BLM movement, we've now reached this paradigm shift within theater that I think a lot of shows were going to uh, encounter troubles with moving forward. Rent being one of them, um, mostly because, and I, I feel a pang of guilt over this, and I don't know how justified that guilt is, how justified anyone else feels it is, um, but like... Collins is typically a role played by a black male. It is not specifically written anywhere into the script that Collins is black, um, but a yeah. lot of his pieces, uh, the orchestral notes for it are that the music is to be played soulfully. And it's not that a pace... <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, a, 
That's that's <laughs> music's way of being like, this is for black people. Right. It, like, it's not like my pasty white ass can't <laughs> yeah. because I can, yeah. but should I? But that's that's the that's the music industry's way of being like, this is for black people, but we're not going to say it so that we can cast white people in this role. <laughs> See what we did there. See what we did. And <laughs> it's it's actually interesting. Like, I mean, you're very I mean, I work in theater. Um, I. Uh, I'm an office administrator for a theater company, a multicultural theater company, and um, absolutely love the work that I do there. And we have these discussions quite often is how, like how so much of this is coming to light. And it's not that it hasn't been visible before because BIPOC actors have been calling it out for so long, but theater is built on white supremacy, as is most of the arts, um, if not all of them. And uh, things like this just get so easily overlooked, right? Like, because everything's run by white people, like even when when I enter a meeting, um, like a regional meeting with, with, or um, not even just regional, but like, um, like, what's the word like district wide or whatnot for, for like theater companies and whatnot. Um, it, the comment I usually make in the group chat at work is, Oh wow. It's a sea of white because we're all on zoom and all you see is just the sea of like mostly white faces as we're having conversations about theater. And it's, it's it, like, it was always visible to me before, but like, especially when you enter working for like a multicultural theater company, you become much more uh, like visually aware of this, right? Because I'm, I'm now sitting there and I'm seeing it. And like, I think me five years ago would have entered a zoom call like that and wouldn't have even thought about it. I wouldn't have even thought about it. I'd be like, yeah, look, it's my people. Like, look, we, there's nothing weird here because I'm so used to walking into rooms and seeing people who look like me, but now I'm so much more accustomed to entering rooms. And my first comment is always just like, Oh, look, Look at all the white faces. Why are there so many white faces? And it's it really is just a we're just not conditioned to think about it. And we have to start. Like we have to start viewing racism as a white people problem, not as a person of color problem. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the major issues is that white people are still framing it as an issue that happens to people of color and not an issue that has been brought upon them by white people. <laughs> You know, like we are the aggressors here. Yeah. And we've addressed this before, too. Like mm-hmm. it's if you've thought a certain way in the past, it's not the end of the world. It's what you choose to do moving forward now that you have this information in your hands. How can you change? How can you progress from it? What can you do to do better? Yes. Don't do what Durham Region did. Uh- <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full circle, because Full you know, circle. we like to digress. But... Uh, my ADHD brain absolutely did that today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it, this is this is exactly it. We have to be more mindful. Like, we're not mindful about it. We, we like to, like, and, and this is a thing I see with a lot of white people I know. Um, it's a thing that I try to be really conscious about for myself is not just showing up at BLM protests, <laughs> holding my sign, and then walking off and being like, look, I did my part. Like, you have to be actively... And it's not even just, like, anytime there's something that happens being outspoken about it. It's not just about that. Like, you you should be, because 
what we need to be as white people is we don't need to be angrier than than people of color. That's absolutely we should never be angrier than they are um, because we will never understand what it is like to live as a person of color in this world. Um, but we need to be outspoken about our our own disdain for what's happening and our own recognition of what's happening to help educate the other white people we know that this is not okay, right? Um, and But also just to be, we have to be just, mindful it's not just about the outspoken part it's about the being mindful of like entering a space and realizing oh there are so many of us white people here how can we fix this Uh, I was in a meeting um not that long ago there were these meetings happening I think they're still happening I I haven't been going (laughs) for various reasons but but um within the the theater community here um that were around COVID protocols and whatnot and the 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 group that was heading it they were clearly trying and doing their best and 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 they just want to get everybody's opinion however i entered this with my boss for the first time and both of us were like messaging each other going this is a, this is all white people <laughs> what are we supposed to do so i then started going instead of my boss so that she didn't have to endure it and um and one of the things i noticed is when i would bring up like Things like, hey, we need to figure out why there are not enough people of color here. Um, what can we do to be accommodating that? And there were several people who would speak up and be like, well, there are people of color on, on like on the list. They just don't have the time to come. <laughs> I was like, I was like, really? Is that what you've convinced yourself is real? Take like take a moment to consider the fact that if there are five people on this list of 30 that are part of this group and none of them show up, that it's just a coincidence that all the BIPOC folks are just busy during these meetings, even though they don't happen at the same time every week. Like, no, it's that this environment is not an environment where they feel one, potentially safe two like their voices will be heard three like it's worth their time like these are the things we have to be considering not just the oh look pat on the back there there's a black person here (laughs) so like clearly we're doing our part no 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 ask yourself why they're not present ask yourself why the word isn't getting spread for more BIPOC to show up don't just be like oh no they're busy (laughs) like this is the problem is that we're not mindful we're not we're not considering everything connected to why a space might be entirely white. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things too, that we, and I'll I'll bring this up. Not that I think anyone who's listening to our podcast may have this mindset, but like, I know I've seen it on Facebook. I have unfriended, unfollowed people because of it. We need to, as white people get past the getting our backs up when we mention white privilege. Oh yeah. Like stop being so fucking butthurt about it because it's not a negative thing. Bronwyn and I have addressed it many of the times, acknowledging that we have white privilege. And I think a lot of the problem that I've noticed is that a lot of people seem to confuse white privilege with wealth privilege. Now, if you draw a Venn diagram, don't tell, like, there's a wicked overlap. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, I mean, this is exactly it. People, I mean, people hear the word privilege first of all, and they go, what do you mean privilege? Uh, My parent died when I was a child and I had to fight tooth and nail to get to where I am today. And like, I don't have privilege. And 
they don't take the time to recognize that like, okay, but let's, let's perchance add to that. If you had been black, how would these experiences have been different? Right? Like it's, it's that like we get our guard up because we're, we're like, well, if you call me privileged, it negates all the hard work I've done. It's like, no, that's not what privilege is. No, like, not in the privilege does not mean that you have had it easy. You might have had a hard life, but it means that you didn't have extra obstacles stopping you from getting to where you are. Like that hard work that eventually got you to the top of like the ladder that you're finally at might not have been present for a person of color. And you're not you're not computing that. Right. And so and then when we hear white privilege, we uh, all of us white people and I'm going to lump us all together. (laughs) We are trash um (laughs) we like to we like to sit there and go white privilege are you calling me racist like uh, i might be white but i've had a hard time like it's just this I, i was talking to my boss about this recently because one of the things that we were commenting on or i was commenting on how like i'm kind of an anomaly as a white person and like i fully acknowledge that i am part of the problem um i also show a huge disdain for other white people constantly <laughs> and I'm constantly trying to do the work to to educate them and and she said yeah Brahman the difference is that is that you approach anti-racism work without your ego um that's something so many other people aren't able to do and it was really interesting because she's right like one of the main problems with with addressing anything with privileged white people <laughs> is that we do we 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 immediately get our guards up because our egos in place we're so ready to defend ourselves we so do not want to see ourselves as somebody who could potentially cause harm so we refuse to acknowledge that we're part of a group that causes immense amounts of harm that our ancestors caused immense amounts of harm because we didn't do it ourselves and it's like it's not about that just acknowledge that you are part of a harmful group and then work your ass off to not contribute to that harm in any way that you can. You're never going to be fully anti-racist as a white person. Why? Because you benefit from racism. Yeah. We benefit from these systems that are in place that are wholly racist, (laughs) right? It's just, but the moment you take the ego out of it and you recognize that and you know you're going to make mistakes and you know that you are just inherently going to do something racist, like the easier it gets to work towards allyship, right? Like we're never done being an ally. If you're going to work toward, I never call myself an ally because um, as I've grown up and, and, and educated myself, I've realized that the moment we call ourselves an ally, we think the work is done. You can never fully, I don't think you can ever fully achieve allyship. You have to be working towards it constantly. And, and that's how we do it. Remove the ego. I'm so sick of people being like, I'm not racist. Well, but you are like, I'm uh, like, as a white person, I am absolutely racist. There are things I benefit from and there are things that I have said and there are things that are socially ingrained in me that are always going to be there and I'm always going to be have to be chipping away at them. As a white person who grew up in a predominantly white community, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm constantly causing harm, but I have to acknowledge those pieces before I can actually be of any help. Yeah, and, and two things to that. So one, I, I think a lot of the reason too uh, and this is just from my own observations as to why people get so upset too it, when we call out white privilege is because there is a part of them that knows that they have done or said okay. racist or problematic things in their past. Yeah. 
I'll admit it. I will fully admit that a few years ago, I was on the very wrong side of the fence uh, with the um, Halloween and costumes yep. argument. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily that I... I couldn't wrap my head around it and why people were so up in arms. The actions that I wanted to see taken from it in using it as an educational lesson for kids and the fact that children aren't choosing these outfits because they're racist. They're, they're kids. They see something that's pretty and they want to go for it. Like, <laughs> a lot of the, the method and where I was at with it, like, the pieces were kind of there, but my approach and what I was saying at the time yeah. was incredibly problematic. And as I sit back and I look at that now and I'm just like, I had someone unfriend me and get really upset with me over it at that time. And I didn't understand. And now I'm sitting here and I'm going, oh my God, I was such an yeah. asshole. Well, but that's, that's part of it. I mean, this is the thing I try to tell people when I have these discussions, when people are actually willing to hear them is that we are not perfect and we are a product of our upbringing. We are a product of the communities we grew up in. None of us grew up as white people in a white community not racist <laughs> like it's just it's not a thing um it, like and it's about how we come out of that right like how we learn to educate ourselves are we able to sit there and go that thing i used to do even just like last month not okay that joke i laughed at last year not funny right like i have laughed at, at some pretty racist jokes in my past i have made some racist jokes i have contributed to systems that perpetuated racism before I educated myself more it's it, it's part of the process and and I think one of the like again it's that like we're so afraid to be called racist it's like white people we have this where we feel like being called racist or being racist is worse than the action of racism itself than actually experiencing racism itself so we're 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 so quick to condemn people for calling us racist and yet we don't condemn racism, right? Like this is the problem is we see it as a, as a thing that other people experience, not a thing that we do. Um, and it's not something we want to acknowledge. And, and the moment we can change that narrative in ourselves and drop the ego and go, oh yeah, nope, I'm not perfect. I've done some awful things. Now let me move forward and not perpetuate those things. And sometimes it starts off with, not laughing at jokes that other people around you are saying. Yeah. So, and then it progresses to calling out people for saying those jokes because it's not okay. And you no longer care if racist people like you, right? It's, 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 and then sometimes it progresses to calling people out in the workplace, even though it could get you fired, right? Like it's, it's, we are not as white people willing to take enough risks to fix the racism we're experiencing. So we become not experiencing, we are not experiencing it, but like that we're watching, I should say, that we are compliant to, um, complacent to. I don't know what words are today, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> but the, but it makes us complacent, right? Like we just, we sit yeah. back and we're like, oh, oh, I mean, I could lose my job if I speak forward on this, so I'm not going to. And it's like, nope, <laughs> we need to stop doing that because as white people, we have the privilege to get another job, right? Like, we have the privilege to probably speak out about stuff like this in the workplace, especially in Canada where we have laws around this, <laughs> but to speak out about stuff like this and probably not get fired for it because we're white people, right? Like it's just, we don't take enough risks with the privilege that we have. And then we wonder why 
our privilege is what's focused on. Yeah. And we also need to understand, too, that it's not a matter of people are more sensitive these days either. It's no. it's not a matter of cancel culture or no. any of that bullshit. It's that, and we I was thinking about this today while I was at work, is that we don't understand what it's like to have a culture that is objectified, that is vilified in some yeah. cases. We don't get it. And it's, I was thinking about it too, is that like, if you notice, particularly even in Canada, we do a lot of multicultural festivals. We celebrate a lot of other yeah. cultures. Why? Because if you celebrate a multicultural festival and you stick a Canadian at the table, we can offer you some maple syrup, some poutine, and that beaver tails. Like, we got nothing else. White people are fucking boring. <laughs> As well, we don't have culture. We don't. <laughs> like, I, I will get into this rant with so many people because people are like, I'm a white person. I have culture. No, no you, you <laughs> might be German and have German culture, mm-hmm. but you don't have white culture. White white is not a culture. We do like to appropriate other cultures, but we do not have a North American culture. We do not have a white, or a white culture. No. Like, you can cling to the things that give you culture that that are actually culture, like a like a, an Italian background or you know whatever things like that. Yeah. Do not let that equate you to having the same type of culture as a person of color who's trying to explain why you should not appropriate them. Yeah, <laughs> right? like it's just it's that like uh, it's true. Like if we sit at the table, we can offer what <laughs> maple syrup, and mashed potatoes. Like, like... <laughs> Gross. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> No, like, let's not offer our bland, salted foods. <laughs> it's just... It's Excuse not, me, I make we, mine flavorful. <laughs> we could learn a few things. Uh, but I mean, even in terms of, like, multicultural festivals, I mean, we hold them and we use it municipally and, like, big government <laughs> as well as a way to be like, hey, look, we like all cultures. Look, we held a festival. (laughs) Pat on the back. Okay, now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make any laws that help you though. So, (laughs) okay. Thank you for coming to our multicultural festival and making us look good. And uh, we now get to pretend that as Canadians, we like everybody. Uh, Have a great day. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it depends on like, that's, Speaking to that, I think that's more impactful of the generic overall multicultural festivals. Um, you know that I'm involved with a particular cultural oh, right. festival. Yeah. But it's but it's, being... <laughs> it's different when it's isolated and you're literally doing an entire festival for a singular culture and those yes. kind of things. Like those yeah. those are amazing. I love being involved no, no, with those. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm talking about like the the like citywide yeah. multicultural festivals that aren't run by people of multicultural backgrounds like like the the organization i'm part of we run a big uh, multicultural theater theater festival every two years and it is run by a multicultural theater company (laughs) so that's not the same thing but when then when you see like the region of waterloo put on a multicultural (laughs) festival and they ask every single possible multicultural organization that they can think of to come represent that's what i'm talking about Especially when the police show up and they're like, look how good we are. And I'm like, that's that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> and then jumping back to just the other thought I had off of our conversation as well um, with your comment about allyship and not identifying. We need to accept as white people too that A, we don't get to decide when we're allies. That nope. is not a decision in our hands. Nope. And B, and most importantly, we don't get to decide what's offensive 
or what is no. what are what shouldn't be offensive. By all means, step up and support when a person of color yes. says that something is offensive, something is racist, whatever. Get behind those voices. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of instances too, and uh, this again cycles back to the the costuming at Halloween thing. Um, there's a lot of white people who get angry because they see something like native culture and the upset behind that. Um, and so they rally behind, but then they see um, a little girl. And I know there was one post specifically of a little girl dressed up in a kimono and her mother did a geisha costume. And they went, well, that's cultural appropriation and blah, 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 blah. Okay, first off, y'all don't understand, and as someone who very much loves Japanese culture, I will tell you, you can go to Kyoto, the old capital, and you can rent a kimono to just walk around. They celebrate and embrace people taking on their culture and whatnot. Also, low-key, Memoirs of a Geisha was a fantastic movie, but it also teaches you that geisha, in essence, were... Uh, high-end escorts at the time. They were ladies of entertainment. Um, So, I mean, really, you're going to get upset over uh, a little girl dressing like that. Um, But even the Japanese community stood up to that post, too, and said, no, we want people to appreciate our culture, and, and by all means, we encourage this. The difference between the two of those things is that, particularly here in North America... Those are the kind of things where the Japanese culture wasn't suppressed. It wasn't attempted to be squashed and hidden and buried underneath things. At one time, yes, um, when there was a lot of the Asian enslavement camps, uh, yeah, okay, maybe. But even then, uh, to the degree uh, that, say, Native American peoples have had it happen to them, it's not the same. Um, But again... That's also not our call. So No, well, and this is exactly it. I like so as a proud social justice warrior, one of the things I have had to learn is not to overstep. And and part of that is I might see something and then equate it to cultural appropriation, but I need to be listening to the actual like BIPOC folks that are affected by that potential appropriation before I decide what it is, right? Like it's this whole, like one of the things I see on TikTok a lot is there will be, um, let's say in a, particularly an indigenous person who presents really white. And so they will wear traditional um, indigenous clothing and, 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 and dance and whatnot. And white people will go into the comments and be like, you're appropriating, you're, it's just like, okay, not, not your job, not your job. Like if indigenous folks have a problem with this, then, then there's a problem, but it is not our job as white people to call it out before it's been called out by the people being affected by it. Right. Um, it's also not, like you said, it's not our job to decide when something isn't offensive, right? Like we're so quick, like it works both ways, but we cannot be the judges of either of those situations. We have to be listening to the people that are potentially being harmed by this thing. <laughs> and we're not doing that. We go really extreme from like, I'm not raised or I, or like, I don't see color that, that thing, Ugh. right. With that whole, like I'm on the, everybody's too PC and, and whatnot. 
And then we jump from that to being like, I'm a warrior and I will defend all things. And, and, and we don't give a chance to just listen. Like, again, we're doing a disservice by not listening to the communities this is harming and making decisions based on what information. <laughs> the fact that we want to see ourselves as good white people. It's not how it, how it works. Like cancel culture, for example, has been invented by white privilege <laughs> to, to, to essentially um, silence people who have legitimate concerns over things. Um, and, and, like, I, I usually see it as, like, um, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a dismissal, right? Like, it's uh, cancel culture doesn't really truly exist. Like, what, what happens is that people have actually been asking for somebody to stop doing a thing, stop appropriating, stop taking the roles of black characters, stop, like, all of these things, stop doing that. And they've asked multiple times, and it's... This person still doesn't listen. And so, yeah, they get canceled for a little bit (laughs) because if you're not going to listen, we're just not going to buy your product. We're not going to watch your movie. We're not going to, you know, buy your books. We're not going to like all of these things. We're going to do that until maybe that helps you listen. And if you don't, then yeah, indefinitely, because you don't deserve to, to have, to make money off of this anymore. (laughs) Right. Like, because you're not being respectful, but it like, if somebody actually does the work and comes back while we do not like while people of color do not owe them forgiveness, we are allowed to, to let people change. Right. So they can't expect that they're going to be forgiven, but if they start to do the work, they will be able to come out of this canceled and I'm putting air quotes around that, but like, canceled hole that they've stuck themselves in like it's just about listening it's about like you have not been listening therefore we're not paying attention to you anymore come back to us when you've learned something yeah and and please also understand too that when we say listening we mean listen to the majority i don't care that you've got that one black friend who's like, oh, you can say the N-word, I don't care, whatever. Oh, yeah. Or you've got that one indigenous friend who's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter about the one-off friends that you have, yeah. the one-off people that are okay with it. As a whole and as a group, if you are hearing the collective shouts that it is not okay, that is what yeah. you need to listen to. Well, because that's just confirmation bias. It's this like, well, I don't want this to be wrong, and I found a black person who tells me it's not. So therefore, it's not wrong, <laughs> <laughs> suckers. And it's like, no, no, it's still wrong. <laughs> like, people of color can be racist towards people of color. Right. They can hold racist views. They could they can they have grown up. Many have grown up in the institution and only know the institution and the institution is white supremacy. Right. Like that is a thing. It's much like LGBT. We can absolutely be homophobic. And many of us are, <laughs> you, you know, like it's it's just because you are part of a marginalized group does not mean that you know everything about being part of the, the, that marginalized group. And I'm so sick of people being like, especially cisgender, heterosexual white people coming into the room and being like, okay, yeah, but like these three people told me it was fine. So therefore I'm just going to do it. Um, And it's like, no, are you listening to the other 30 people in the room who say it's not okay? Like one of the things that I did when I, I, I did these diversity sessions, well, I prepared and put together 
these diversity sessions for training for RAs when I was um, a residence life coordinator. And I was actually really, really proud of it. Uh, but one of the one of the things I focused on was language. Uh, because, I mean, people get so up in arms when you're like, I'd prefer if you don't say that, it's offensive. And they're like, what do you mean? I like this word. Why can't we like reimagine it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I, and so I focused a lot on that and had a discussion with these students about why can't we just change the meaning of a word? Why do we have to, why can't we just, you know, find a new word in this vast vocabulary that the English language has? Why are you so stuck on being able to say that one word that somebody has asked you not to say anymore because it's offensive? Why, why? Right. And I had to, and, and part of that discussion was to ask these questions to these students. And then when we went back and forth, I would stop them and go, we have to move on, but I'm going to encourage you to think about why it is that you are so married to that one word when there is a plethora of other words that you could use in its place that are not offensive and do not cause harm to somebody. It's not that hard. And I also explained to people, and, and I, I had a few students, like a few other residence life coordinators came back to me afterwards and were like, I'm really glad you asked them to think about it because they did. And they came back to our group sessions and, and talked about it, which I thought was really cool. Um, because it's about, they've never had it posed that way before in a way that their own logic can pick it up. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that that's, that's really important. You know, like it's, it's, it's not, I mean, one of the other things that I taught is that like, it's not about doing it tomorrow. You're, you know, like I said the R word for a really long time <laughs> and I didn't see a problem with it until somebody called it out on, to me on social media and I hated the way they called it out to me and I bitched about it for a while. And then eventually I was like, oh yeah, that's offensive. I shouldn't be saying that. And then later on, and, and it didn't come out of my vocabulary right away. It took me a moment. And then eventually I stopped saying it, but didn't realize it was still ingrained in other words. Like I would say the word fucktard and I didn't realize that it was still the same word, right? And it took this internal like, wait a second for me to like, because I tell people all the time, like if I'm calling you out, you better believe I'm also calling myself out. I call myself out on things all the time <laughs> as I realize that it's happening. And, uh, and I, I remember this moment in my brain where I said fucktard and then immediately my brain went, wait a second, that's exactly the same word. Why are you saying that? You can't say that anymore. And it was part of the learning process. It doesn't happen overnight. We get socially um, brought up in this system where we have these words that were that like that are colloquialisms and they're just part of the vernacular and they're that we're so used to using them as slang and we don't see a problem and then when somebody educates us on them it is hard because we're sitting there going one well I'm not racist so why would I say a racist thing like no but then it's also the like well but I'm so attached to this word I've been saying it for you know my whole life so what am I supposed to do right and it, it we're not expecting you to be perfect. I'm never expecting somebody to go away and then the next day stop saying something. I have been trying to eradicate crazy and insane from my vocabulary for literally years. <laughs> like I would say at least five years as I've been conscious of the ableism in those words. Um, and yet it's hard because it's so commonly used. But I still do the work, right? I still catch myself on it. I still make sure that I am consciously thinking about 
what could I use in, in this place? I actually dated a woman earlier in 2020 who used the word wild a lot um, instead of crazy. And I adapted that from her and I'm really glad that I did. Like it's, uh, so I use wild a lot now. It's about finding other words that, that both replace the meaning that's harmful and also just replace that word in your vocabulary. And it takes time. You're not going to be perfect right away. And we get into this headspace where we're like, you're calling me out on it. Well, well, I'm not perfect. So, and we get defensive instead of being like, okay, it's going to take me some time, but I will consciously make an effort. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the takeaway from today's episode is stop, listen, particularly mm-hmm. to BIPOC persons. And embrace that and know that when we or anyone else discusses issues with white people, it's not an attack. It's you don't have to get your back up. You don't have to be super, super defensive. And maybe take a second and look inwards to see, okay, where is this coming from? Because maybe if these people are saying it, maybe just maybe... There might be some truth to it and maybe because we're privileged and stupid, maybe hearing it from our pasty white mouths might help you process it. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, if it, if it does, it does. Essentially just like listen to BIPOC, right? Like listen, black indigenous people of color, listen to them. And we will have guests. Do not. Oh yeah, absolutely. But do not expect those people to do the work for you if they are offering it up as many have for years and centuries you know to to help educate us listen to that but don't expect black people you work with to have this conversation with you because they're black and it's black history month don't do that no don't tell people to go have a conversation with a black person don't be durham region yeah just (laughs) you know like don't expect this work to be done for you seek it out Find, start following people, as we said at the beginning, on social media who who are already doing this work, who will link you to other people already doing this work. The amount I have learned just through listening to personal lived stories through social media, through TikTok, following different indigenous creators and like following the, the, the native TikTok hashtag following black creators pretty much instantly as I see them. If they end up having like really problematic views, I can unfollow them later, but like specifically to change the algorithm, it helps you educate yourself and learn without, without demanding that that work be done for you. Yeah. Like I said, click of a button. That's all it takes. One click of a button makes a big difference. Just let go of your ego. Let it go. It's not about you as an individual. I mean, like, it is about what you contribute, but it, this this whole thing can't be done if we all think it's personal. It's it's not. We have to just, we have to let go of the ego. White people are problematic. Deal with it. Yeah, we are. We're, we're, we're trash. So <laughs> <laughs> I like to take the really divisive route and just say we're trash. So. <laughs> Listen, it, it is what it is. We're going to call it like it is. We've told you that we're we're going to say things you may not agree with, so suck That's it. True. Uh, <laughs> do we want to end on a happier note, though? I do have some happy things here. 
Sure. So these are some positive things that came out of 2020. We know it was a gong show. We know that Mm -hmm. uh, the entire BLM movement got uh, a lot of traction. um, And we've talked about a lot of heavy topics here. So here's some happy things to end our podcast. So first off, the elephant population in Kenya has doubled over the course of 2020. Scotland will provide menstrual aids for free. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. A, I saw that. <laughs> a, a Kenyan woman recycles plastic into bricks that are stronger than concrete. That's amazing. Right? The ozone hole over Antarctica has closed. That's really cool. Uh, Germany is changing 62 military bases into nature reserves. Oh, wow. Uh, the Bernie Sanders mittens meme has raised over $1.8 million for charity. That's awesome. The Muslim Council of Britain elected its first female leader. That's amazing. The technology behind Pfizer COVID vaccine is leading to a possible MS breakthrough. Oh, that's so cool. New prostate cancer tests will make diagnosis using urine in 20 minutes with near 100% accuracy. Holy crap. A rare endangered Indian rhinoceros was born at a Polish zoo. (laughs) For the first time in 80 years, salmon are spawning in the upper Columbia River. Volunteers in 2020 removed 9,000 pounds of trash from the Tennessee River. Jesus. (laughs) Wood grown in a lab using plant cells could cut deforestation. Whales are back in the Atlantic Ocean after more than 100 years. Landlords can no longer automatically ban pets in the UK. Thank you for joining some of the rest of us. <laughs> Actually, that's just an Ontario thing from what I know. Shut up. I know in Alberta, they can charge, they can deny you pets. They can also charge you a pet fee. Yeah. <laughs> that's disgusting. And there was one more thing and it had to do with trees, but my phone decided to... That's okay. That's refresh see, itself and I like, lost we were, it. <laughs> we were all so focused on the negativities of 24. And like, validly so but like i had no idea about most of those that's so interesting i also i have my own little personal happy thing um Um, i mean it starts off not sounding happy but i promise it is (laughs) i've been like really uh you wouldn't know it from listening to the podcast but i have been um struggling just like with my mental health because of a, a physical health thing that i'm going through that has absolutely drained me of pretty much all of my energy and it's made like fueling myself and things like that really difficult. And, you know, we did this podcast about mental health two weeks ago and I told people reach out for help if you need it, reach out for help if you need it. And then I was sitting there this week going, Oh my God, I really need help. You know? And I, and I decided to live by my own words for once because <laughs> it's always easier said to other people than it is done. Yep. Uh, I still always feel immense shame when I reach out um, because I don't want to burden people and whatnot. But I reached out for help and I said to my community on Facebook, you know, I, I'm I'm really struggling to to get food in the house. I, I don't always have the energy to cook. I need ready-made meals and I don't have the money for it. And and if anybody's making extra meals, could you help me out um, by bringing me some? And I've actually had so many people in my community just like reach out, um, offer to, you know, make me and bring me food. My colleagues brought me food. Um, they, they actually weren't supposed to see it, but I forgot to 
I forgot to hide the post from one of them. So she like told the whole crew and they were like, oh, we need to help. So they they actually just brought that over tonight. Um, and it's just, I just, you know, this is why community is so important because when things are really rough and they do just happen like that, sometimes in life we get hit with something that we can't do anything about. And sometimes it is just hard to get out of bed every day. And when you have a community of people that are willing to help you out and you finally do ask for help, it's amazing how your perspective shifts. Like I was feeling so helpless. And then today I just, while still feeling a little helpless because I can't do very much, <laughs> you know, I, I have this just immense feeling of gratitude for all these people, even people I have barely spoken to just coming out of the framework to be like, I'm going to make you soup. I'm going to drop it off. Like, let me know what you can't eat. Um, I'm going to buy you groceries. I'm not close, but I want to, I want to send you $50 worth of groceries. I want to like, what do you need? It's just been so incredible. And so, um, that's my little happy thing for this week is, you know, I'm living by my own words. Um, I'm, I'm taking, I'm trying to take care of my mental health at a time that's really difficult for me. And I did. And, and the community out for has been really, really phenomenal. And I'm going to be able to fuel myself for several weeks because of this. So, um, as I, you know, learn more about the medical issue. So it's, uh, so that's a really positive note to end on. And I just want to say, you know, to anybody who, who offered some help during this time for me, who might be listening to this, thank you so much. It means so much more than you can possibly imagine, even just to have somebody reach out. So, um, yeah, so that was a little positive thing for my week. That's awesome. See, so, uh, you know, we talk about the heavy shit, the other problems with the world. Yeah. Things that we have to address. Yeah. But there's, there's good in the world. You know, exactly. and that's that's the nice thing is that there is good yeah. in the world. And speaking of good in the world, too, thank you to the wonderful person who left us a review on our podcast. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I went dig- I went digging around uh, too, <laughs> though, but I I think only Apple, from what I saw, Apple Podcasts is where you can leave reviews. Yeah. Which is weird. Uh, so if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Do us a solid. Throw us a review. Please leave us a review. Um, it was it was so nice to see too. It was just so whoever did it, thank you. Um, oh, and it, shout I mean, out to our two percent of listeners that exist in the Philippines. What up? Yes, <laughs> because the analytics. <laughs> I, think I might know down. who you are, but uh, I'm not sure. So <laughs> the, the analytic breakdown. You. All of a sudden, yeah. I saw that crop up on there, and I went, "What? We have listeners in the Philippines? It's That's so cool." cool. Yeah, it's cool to feel like you have a bit of reach. And, and to anybody who's reached out privately to let us know that you really appreciate the conversations we're having, um, thank you. It's really nice to hear that that this resonates with people. Um, we're going to keep having them. So um, yeah. we're grateful for our listeners, too. And, and we're super excited to bring you more. This is the thing that despite my mental health right now, I actually super look forward to these podcasts. So because it's, it's fun to do this with my brother. Exactly. It's some good family time. <laughs> Good, good way to get shit off your chest. Um, and if you're not doing so already, be sure that you're following us on our socials at Sibling Rants on Instagram and Sibling Rants Pod on Twitter. Uh, yeah. And then otherwise, give us a follow wherever you're listening to the podcast. And uh, thanks for listening, friends. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye.